0: It's called the Bible. It's a great book. Um, it, it's, uh, it's got amazing truth. It's got things about, in it that uh, are very important in relation to you. You could just turn that one off for a while on the, on the screen at the moment. So I want to encourage you. I want to just say that this book is unique, incredibly unique. Um, it's incredibly different to any other book on the face of the planet. Uh, as I said last week, there's 200,000 copies of this sold or given away every day in the history, uh, in the, uh, this world. Every day. And that's the best-selling, the best-selling book, um, book in the whole world. There must be something in it, would you agree? There must be something about it that has something powerful, well, if it's so popular. Uh, and yet, its history uh, is interesting because it, we're going to release the young people by piece... <laughs> Go for it. 12, 13-year-olds, away you go. Have a great morning. Brilliant. Um, Where was I? (coughs) Talking about this, was I? I hope so. Um, So God's Word is incredible. And and its history is that it was many, many, many people tried to snuff it out, destroy it, burn it, get rid of it. Uh, And yet it's interesting because God has looked over His Word and brought it through to us even in this century. Uh, thousands of years later, after it's been written, we still see we have God's word. Uh, can, can I give you a brief history of God's word? Because this book was initially written um, um, uh, from about well, the Old Testament part. Uh, the Old Testament part has thirty-nine books. It's one book with many books. Sixty-six. The Old Testament part is thirty-nine books, and the Old Testament part was written from about 1400 BC, so 1400 years before Christ, um, and it was written in in Hebrew. Okay, because that's what they spoke, so they wrote it in Hebrew. And then we have the New Testament. Now, it was written after Jesus Christ. It was written, everything was, everything of those 27 books of the New Testament were written, finished by about 120 um, AD. So that's 120 years after Jesus was born. They'd completed writing the New Testament. It was written in, and who knows what it was written in, the New Testament? Greek. It was written in Greek. And, uh, and if you read Greek, you'd be rightfully able to say, well, that's all Greek to me, because that's exactly what it would be. So the reality is, is that we see that the Word of God, then people came up with an idea that they wanted to translate it into something other than Hebrew and Greek. And so the most common language of the day was Latin. So they translated it in Latin. In actual fact, not too many years after, 382 AD, they translated the Bible into Latin. And that was the common Bible then. Uh, it was written in Latin. And once again, it wouldn't be of any good to us as English-speaking people, would you agree? So we see that throughout history then, the dignitaries of the day, in actual fact, the, the church of the day uh, actually said that uh, um, you know, Latin is the only thing that you can have the Bible uh, translated into. And if anybody translates it into any other language, they'll be severely punished or even executed. It was a pretty heavy call in those days. But it's interesting, that didn't stop people. And so we see the history of the Bible continues. And the first person to start, well, not exactly the first person, but the first person we know of who started to handwrite the Bible from Latin into English was a gentleman called John Wycliffe in 13, 1380s, Okay. 1380s, he started to handwrite it. People didn't, the, the church of the day didn't like that. Interesting enough, the church was against the Bible being spread in different languages, isn't it? But that's what happened. And, and so, we, so there was some persecution against him. And so it's interesting that they disagreed and they started to, the, the dignities of the days so much rose up that what they thought they'd do after John Wycliffe died because was, it was only hand manuscripts that he wrote, they actually dug up his bones 44 years after he was buried, dug his body up, got his bones, crushed them, and threw them into the river as an, a disincentive to say, don't you touch this book and ever produce it into anything else other than Latin. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a disciple in the sense, or a follower of John Wycliffe's ideas. His name was, his name was John Huss, and he promoted Wycliffe's ideas that people should be able to read the Bible in their everyday language. Would you agree that was a good idea? Okay, so unfortunately, a lot of people in high places didn't think that, and as John Huss started to translate it like Wycliffe did, they burnt him at the stake in 1415. How would you be? You want to promote the Bible, and they burn you at the stake? Not a real good outcome, was it? They executed him for his beliefs. Uh, and, they took, and the kindling they used for the fire was the handwritten copies of John Wycliffe's translations. Sad, isn't it? This is a unique book. People have died for it. Uh, we need to handle it. We need to, we need to um, respect the history, don't we? People have died that I could have this in my hands this morning. Uh, it, does, it goes on from there because we see a wonderful guy called Martin Luther uh, in around the 1450s rose up and said, I'm not going to get scared about people um, executing other people because they're translating the Bible into English and other languages. And he started to translate it into the German and then other people start to translate the Bible into English. And we see on one particular day, on a, on a, a, one particular day, just as a, an example, a public display of don't you touch the Latin Bible. They took seven people from families and they executed them and burnt them at the stake. All of them because simply their crime was teaching their children how to say the Lord's Prayer in the English Bible transcript. People died for this book. People suffered for this book. What a history! Hey, it goes on from there, and we see that um, um, Bible translation in other languages continued despite the persecution. In 1964, sorry, ni- 1496. Let's get it right. That's my dyslexia coming. I just read it, but it said it said something else. 1496. A guy called John Colick, He stood up, and he was an Oxford professor and the, the son of the mayor of London. And he started to teach and translate the Bible in English and teach in the English Bible in the uh, Oxford University in London. Because he was so high up, they decided they wouldn't execute him. They didn't like it, but they didn't execute him. He got away with that. Um, So we see this continual process happening. And then John Collett brought the the English translation of the Bible into St. Paul's Cathedral in London and started to read from it. Do you know, on one morning... 20,000 people found out about that and came to St. Paul's Terrace and packed it out just to hear God's Word read in English. Not only was there 20,000 people in the church, there was at least that and more on the outside of the church trying to get in to listen to God's Word just read in English. That's 1496. Uh, We could go on. The Protestant clergy finally got enough gumption in their umption to stand up and say, we've had enough of this execution. And they approached the King, King James VIII, in 1604. And they said, let's produce a new translation of the English Bible. And he produced it. And in 1611, the Bible scholars presented the King James Version, which we know today as the old King James Version. It's exactly still the same. Maybe there's a couple differences, but that's where we get the old King James Version. And today we can have such... Wonderful paraphrased versions is the NIV, New International Version, and the you know, Living Bible. And then there's really paraphrased the message. And all of them have got some uh, important uh, part to play in presenting the Bible to us. So, folks, I just want to say, uh, let's, let's uh, respect the history of an incredible book. Why? Why, was it, why was it, you know, there is a devil who wanted to destroy this, but there's a God who kept it alive. And more importantly, he keeps it alive, just not on a word and paper, uh, on letters and paper, but he keeps it alive in the hearts of people like you and me. That's the power of it. That's the power of it. It's amazing. Have you read it lately? It's amazing. (laughs) So what makes God's Word so unique? What makes this book so incredibly unique that people would die for it? That people would suffer for it? That people would thumb their nose at the establishment of the day and say, "Hey, God's word needs to be released into the languages and the the languages of the people, so they can read it for themselves, and not in some foreign Latin uh, that not everybody understood or could read in those days." Praise God, they persisted, because we're here today. We're here today because of it. So. What are some things? What makes it unique? Let's just get down to some realities for us today. What makes this Bible so unique? I want to give you three things this morning. And the first thing that I want to share with you about what makes God's Bible so unique, it's the only book that can make the wise simple. Simple thought, but it's the only... Now, you may say, oh, there's lots of books on wisdom... Socrates and, and all those wonderful philosophers, during the, they had some great wisdom. You know, and people have written great wisdom. But if you were to trace back even the great philosophers of the day, the ones that really made it and the ones who really established it, a lot of their thoughts come from biblical principles. A lot of their thoughts. But this book... It's unique because it can make the wise simple. Now, the word "simple" does not mean it's not it's not, a, it's not a it's not a slur against people saying they're stupid. No, it's simply stating this that while that we can be arrogant to the power of God's word, let's not be sorry. While we can be ignorant to the power of God's word, let's not be arrogant. We may be ignorant of the truth and the power in it, but let's not be arrogant and pride. and say, Well, I don't need it. I could live my own life. I don't, you know, I've got it all worked out. I want to tell you, as no matter how much of your life you seem to have worked out, I want to tell you this book can give you new direction, correction, encouragement, and support to work out life far much better than I could do it on my own. It's a powerhouse of information and truth. In actual fact, it's not just information. It's not just knowledge because who knows, you can have some pretty foolish intellects. But wisdom, wisdom is different. Wisdom is taking the knowledge and applying it. That's what wisdom is, applied knowledge. You can have some very smart people in this world, but if they don't apply what they know, the principles of truth, it is of little use to your life. And you know, there is some people who are no hasn't got the letters after the name, or the masters, or the doctorates, but they are more wise than some of those people because they've taken the truth of God's Word and they've applied it. And that's wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It's very different to just having knowledge. So God's Word says, hey, this is what God's Word says. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it converts the soul. We'll put it up now. Thank you. <laughs> the testimony of the Lord is pure, making what wise the simple. So that's what I'm talking about when I say when it says simple. It's not talking about stupid or um, uh, stupidity. It's talking about someone who may be ignorant, but not let's not be arrogant to take God's word in their hearts. It's interesting. I'll tell you a story. Alex Thompson is a pastor in an isolated community in Siberia. Wow. Never been to Siberia. It's a cold place, they tell me. Here's the story of how he became a pastor in Siberia in an isolated village in Siberia. There was one day from this little village called uh, Sika. There's a little village of Sika. There's a fisherman who day, one day went out into the, um, into the countryside and, and they had, he, went, he wanted to go fishing. And so... Um, Because their village had been running low on food, they'd eaten food. This is back in about the 1980s, 1990s. Okay, so it's only like 20 or 30 years ago. He went out there seeking uh, to fish and he had some kind of beliefs, but he didn't know anything about God, creator of heaven and earth, the one and only God. And so he prayed this little prayer. He said, whatever God is out there, would you give me a sign and give me favor in catching fish today? So that's what he did. Now little did he know exactly the same time as his prayer was happening two kilometers above there was a helicopter flying over and in that helicopter was a bunch of men two of them were government officials and they were taking food supplies to uh, another isolated part of Siberia to support the people who needed food of course. And so they're in the helicopter quite a large helicopter and they're in the helicopter and they're Sorting out the food and just checking, making sure it's all there, and they came across a little box of Bibles placed there by a group of guys called the Gideons, wonderful Gideon group. And they took and they opened the box and they found out it was a bunch of Bibles. They thought, "What is the use of this?" Obviously, these guys didn't have too much, and for some reason, they decided to throw them out the window. Not not all at once, and just one at a time. One of those Bibles floated two kilometers to the ground. And in the snow landed about four meters from our little fisherman friend. Exactly when he finished his prayer. He was looking for a sign from God. He picked up the book. He went straight back to the village. He said, whatever God has given me, whatever God it is, he's given me a sign. The village read the book. Within 15 years, 30 people had come to Jesus. And they called Pastor Alexi Thomas. And he became the pastor of this little village in in Siberia the first pastor of this church and a church who was established. I tell you what, I think God is faithful to his words to get it to people. Isn't it amazing? See, isn't that incredible? It makes wise the simple... These people who had no belief in God, they were ignorant of God's truth. They picked it up, started to read it, and they came and committed their life to Christ and the church was planted. is that amazing? No one told them they just had a Bible. Now, that doesn't always happen that way, but it did in that instance. And the Bible was very incredibly fruitful. So God wants to make wise the simple. Do You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 30, in verse um, 24, there's four things on earth that are very small, but yet they're extremely wise. I'm not going to give you all four today. You can read that passage for yourself. But let me give you one. It says, these four little things are extremely wise. And and the the number one thing that they put at the top of the list is the ant. Have you observed the ant? It says in uh, Proverbs 30, 25, ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Yet they're extremely wise for doing that. Here's the wisdom of the ant. They prepare for the future. They prepare. It prepares for all possibilities in the future. They take, they take the, uh, the summer months when there's plenty of food and they store it up. They don't eat it all at once. They store it up and they save it for the times when they have less food. And usually that's around winter time. That's the, the difficult time, the trial time, the test time, whatever it is. Um, the interesting wisdom to that is, um, we know that uh, in talking about food, the Bible says that this is a source of food for our spirit, isn't it? Okay, we can understand that. It talks about drinking the milk of the Word, um, uh, it talks about being the bread of life to us. So we see this analogy of the Bible being food. And if you think about the realities, if you connect the two of these things, that the ant's wisdom is it stores up its food. And then you take the fact that the bread of the Bible can be a source of spiritual food. Uh, because it's, um, uh, the truth is, is, I had a uh, uh, wisdom. It's a source of wisdom, isn't it? As wisdom is to our emotional being, it says "Their soul. It's talking about our emotions. It restores the emotions. It restores our thinking. It restores um, our decisions and processes. It helps us think, think. That's what soul means. So if, if, if this is wisdom to our soul, wisdom to our thinking process, wisdom to our emotions, if this is wisdom on how to do life better, um, then um, it, it's what health is to the body. It's the same thing. If we're healthy, our bodies are functioning quite well. If we have God's Word... It also is God's word is like an immunity against not just disease, but as I said last week, dis-ease. We have God's word in our heart. It's like an immunity, it restricts, it stops the, the dis-ease in our soul. The worry, the anxiety, the fear, the, the struggle, the things that want to encroach on our emotional well-being. The Bible can can be so strong in that way. So we see. If um, the ant stores that food, why shouldn't we take God's word and store it in our hearts? Because God says an ant's wise for doing it. I think you're incredibly wise if you take God's word every day and just read it and store it up in your heart. It mightn't be for now, that thought, but you know what? A month, a year down the track when you come across that problem or that situation or you have to face decision-making time and then the word is recalled, where was that word I read? And it's been stored in your heart. You know what God's Word says? I've hidden, in Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your Word, Lord, in my heart that I may not sin against you. Why in the world would you hide God's Word in your heart if it wasn't for the reason of keeping it there for the time in the future when you may really just need to pull it out of that storehouse and say, it's really applicable right now. The more you read, the stronger you get. The more you read, is a preparation for your future. You need God's Word in your life. You know, it's better than any Mills and Boone book. I tell you that. You know what Mills and Boone are? For everybody over 30, you'll understand. Under 30, just forget that. You wouldn't have a clue. But romantic novels, they don't do it. I tell you what, we need to read something of substance. And God wants to store up something in our lives so, that it would be, so we'd have a better future and a better hope. Amen. It's a treasure and it's a wisdom to our lives. Here's the second thing this book is unique. Why is this book unique? Because it is the only book where the main character was the incarnation of what was written in it. Let me tell you, let me explain that statement. It's the only book where the, the main character, Jesus, was the, it was the incarnation of what was written in it. Do you know what incarnation means? It just means manifestation of. Um, Avatar isn't just a great movie title. It's actually a word that means manifestation of something else. Remember in the movie Avatar? The guy would go and become um, an avatar. He'd have the same thought processes, the same voice, and even some of the same looks, but became a completely different being. And yet he was still what he was. It was a manifestation of himself. That's what an avatar, it's a literal word in the dictionary, avatar, manifestation of something else. And so we see that Jesus Christ was the greatest avatar of his word. Let me explain that even further. You see, in the Bible, it says in Psalm 119, your word, it says, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In John chapter 9, Jesus says, hey, I'm that light. I'm the light of the world. Your word is the light, but I'm the light of the world. You see, it says in Deuteronomy 8.3, you shall not live by bread alone, but man shall... um, every word that proceeds from the mouth of what? God." In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. See what I'm saying? He's the manifestation of the word. He's everything that the word was. And the actual fact, there's not many verses in the Bible that you can read. that, If you just trace back and drill down, you'll find that it relates and communicates Christ in some way. Or Christ can identify with it in some way. The Bible is about God and is about Jesus Christ. And it's about you and me. And Jesus was one of the main characters. Everything we read in the Bible has some reference to Christ. He lived it out. And why would that be important this morning? That he would be the incarnate. He'd be the avatar. Jesus would be the avatar of his written word. He'd be the revealed revelation and the truth. Why would that be important? Well, this is important. So we could identify with Jesus through his word. He did it. Someone wrote it. We read it. We act on it. Really simple. See, if we... It, it, God got God's whole passion and desire was to walk with His creation. That got messed up in the garden, and now He sent Jesus, not just in the flesh, but He also sent Him as the Word of God to humanity. Not just, and then of course we had the written word, but we have the Word of God as well, don't we? If we go to the second verse, which that would explain something that would be important this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. He was the incarnate. He was the avatar of Scripture. He was everything that Scripture was. And when we, see, when we read the pages of this book and see what Christ was like, uh, we say, wow, that's what he's like. That's how I can live. What an example it is. Um, Jesus was tempted in every way, and yet he didn't yield to that temptation why was he tempted in every way so that we know in our temptation that we not don't need to yield as well Jesus was, of course, he was unfairly treated, and he didn't retaliate or seek revenge. And, folks, that's a great encouragement. We see Jesus could do it. We can go through life, and when we're, something comes our way and wants to pull us down, unfairly, unfair treatment, you know, our response should be not to fight fire with fire. We can take Jesus' example. He not only because if it was just written in a book and no one ever really lived it out as an example, what, what, what? what information would we really have but we have a person who lived out he lived out the scriptures he lived out the truth of even old and new testament see jesus was thirsty on the cross he was tired in a boat he was angry in the temple he was hungry at the fig tree he faced all the emotions that you and i face and was perfect in his response in all those emotions i wish i could be sometimes but i haven't been my anger sometimes ends up in wrong response See Jesus, we see Jesus, the good news is he came to be tested and trialed and he went through the temptations. He helped, he healed and he gave hope to all who are ready to receive him. All who are ready because he lived the truth. He lived it. He he exampled it before us. He's the manifestation of what we read in here. Jesus has done it before we've done it. He's faced what you faced. He understands the reality of what you've Um, face you may say well he was male how can he relate to females well you know what God was both genders and I think Jesus somehow related to both genders he communicated he loved both and so we need to embrace and understand that you know there was a little movement um that was a great little movement of um and became a bit of a trend in the 1980s 1990s called and it was these four letters wwjd do you know what that stands for what would Jesus do And uh, it became a great trend, people got bracelets, people got t-shirts, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, They had necklaces, they had earrings, they had everything, headbands, um, beanies, scarves, it all happened. And it was a great movement, I thought it was brilliant. And and, and And it's still relevant today, but it didn't start in the 1990s, it started in 1896. Because in 1896 there was a guy called Charles... Charles. Let's get his name right. Charles. 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 It'll come to me in a second. Sheldon. There. Read it. Charles Sheldon was a pastor, and in 1996 he decided to preach a series to his church on in Kansas, America, on what would Jesus do. That was the title, and out of that he he continued to preach and proclaim, and it became and then eventually someone took it up in 1990 and said, "Oh, let's rebirth this whole thing because it's so powerful." Because many times in Scripture we see Jesus says, "You know, take up the cross and." follow me. I love what Charles Sheldon said. Um, He said, what would Jesus do? It's the most practical question we could ever ask. He says that instead of turning to things, diplomacy, government, science, art, money, or religious rituals for solutions, this world needs to turn wholesale to Jesus. He says that the World War I, after, of course, even though it was written, this is written this bit after the World War I, which is in 1915. He says, World War I could have been prevented this way by the principles of Jesus and the lives of men and women. I tell you, we could have um, saved ourselves a lot of heartache in this world if we just would live what Jesus did. Would you agree? And it all comes, we haven't got Jesus in the flesh. We've got the Holy Spirit. But we've got the Word of God and Jesus is that Word. Here's the last thing you with me? you cool? You're there? Great. Here's the last thing. It's the only book. It's the only book that will accomplish, has accomplished, and will continue to accomplish what it says. Harry Potter won't do it for you. You can read his book and you won't get any... You really won't benefit. You know, and to be honest, there's a lot of good Christian authors, but once again, they're written from the principles of God's Word. And really, in the end, it's the only book... That has and will continue to accomplish what it says. What it says, Isaiah fifty-five eleven says this. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not depart. uh, Sorry, it shall not return to me void. But it shall, what? It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah prophesied that principle way back in the Old Testament. It will prosper in the things which I sent. It will accomplish what I please. Church, you can bank on the words in this book, okay? You can bank on it. What's been spoken in this book, our lives can depend on the words that are spoken in this book. It's not like it's a, oh, maybe. No, you can depend upon it because it has life. And as was sung through that song, there's life within your tongue this morning. What you proclaim? Ideally, let's proclaim God's truth from our lips. Um, Do you know Peter? Remember Peter, the the disciple. There was a time when he was in the boat, and Jesus came at night, walking on the water. Remember that story, and and Peter said to Jesus, "If it's you, cause me, you know, tell me to come." Jesus spoke one word, and it was the word, "Come." Are you there? It was the word, "Come." It was just one word. It was just one word. He climbed up out of that boat. It probably had a high side. He got up out of that boat and he climbed to the side and he started to walk on the water. Now, his feet were physically touching and walking on the water. But who knows? It wasn't the water that in his heart that that motivated him. It was the word that Jesus spoke. And the word that he spoke was just come. And as long as he focused on the word that Jesus spoke, but not only that, focused on the word himself and Jesus, he was able to walk on water. The moment that he refocused and got focused on the waves, the trial, the temptation, the problem, the issue, whatever it may be, he started to sink. It's because he neglected to keep his eyes on not just think about the word that was spoken, but the word that was in front of him, the word Jesus Christ, who was the word from the beginning. It's amazing as Peter acted on the word, it was spoken by Jesus, he done an amazing thing. It's amazing how if we act on God's Word, how much happens that we didn't think was possible. It's amazing if we act on God's Word. Simon Peter... There's another time. He'd been fishing all night. And um, he'd caught nothing. And so he's back at the shore. He's washing the nets. And as he washes the nets... Jesus comes up, hops in his boat, they push it out a little bit, and Jesus preached to thousands of people. After they would preached, Jesus was in the boat with Peter, and he says to Peter, hey, launch out into the deep and let down your net. <laughs> Peter looks at Jesus and said, I've toiled all night. In other words, <laughs> you know, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I, I just want to wash the nets and go home to bed. I've had enough. Now, we didn't all say that, but you know, in his statement, I've toiled all night. But then Peter says something incredible, incredible. Peter had some incredible moments. He might have had some moments where it wasn't so incredible, but he had some incredible moments. This is one of them. And he says to Jesus, at your word, I will let down the nets. So he pulls up the anchor, goes out to the deep with Jesus, lets the net down, and he can't contain the fish that is in the net that's about to pull in. It's about to pull in. Jesus took Peter back to the place of disappointment so it became a place of joy. He took Peter from the place of toil to the place back there where it was a toil and it became an ease and a peace. He, he took Peter to the place um, where there was so much lack and it became the supply. And it all was based on the fact that Peter said, At your word... I'll go back. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. I physically am spent, but I'm going to, it's been all night. I'm going to go back there. And the disappointment became the joy, and the lack became the supply, and the toil became the ease. I tell you what, that's what God's Word does for you folks. When you not only take it and read it, but then allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and truth to your life. And you know, maybe here this morning, you're feeling a bit tired. <laughs> You know you're feeling, yeah, there's disappointment. There's some you know, there were some things I thought would be supplied, but there's a lack. I'm a, there's not much happening at the moment, financially or physically or a lot. Of, I want to tell you, you could take the truth of God's word, and it's only as you take it and not just read a book with letters, but you read a book with the passion saying. Father God, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal your truth to me? And for some of us this morning, I sense it's not so much redirection, it's just correction. In other words, you're on the right path, but you just got to correct that path a bit. You know, when you drive your car, you're always correcting the steering wheel. If you just left the steering wheel in lock and straight ahead, that's a dangerous scenario. Would you agree? And sometimes it's just the corrections needed. And as you read God's Word, I continually find out it just corrects me. and just corrects the path. And it's just little increments of things I need to change. But unless I read it, I'm going to run straight off the road. Church, God's Word, is, is, He just wants us to read it, be obedient to it, act on it, and then live it. It says in Psalm 119, verse 59, I ponder the direction, the psalmist says, I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your words. I pondered my life and I turned to follow your words. Gordon Fee is a great Bible scholar. And he said much the same thing. He said, you know, it's not the Bible that's hard to understand. We understand it pretty well, really. He says, the problem is not understanding it, it's just obeying it. Um, and it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us. But if I can hide it in my heart, draw from it when I need to, realize that this is the living Word of God. It, 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 physically, it's nothing. This book is just like any other book. But when the principles are applied and when the Holy Spirit helps you apply that and the revelation of His Word comes, it's powerful. That's what makes it powerful. So this morning, my challenge would be to you, if there's disappointment and lack and there's toil and this hardship, why don't you say, Father God, I just need your truth in my heart. I need to just let you come and be a part of my life. Uh, so let's stand together as we close our service. Are you okay today? Did you just have a late night? Listening intently. Thank you, Andrew, for that encouragement. <laughs> It's a great book. Have you read it lately? <laughs> have you read it lately? And, and I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I just want to challenge you and encourage you. There's life in the words that you speak. And the more I find my, I speak in God's words, the more life I find that I have. There's a lot of other words. I could speak the words of, you know, um, what's those, cooking shows on television? What's that show? I've only ever watched the. Uh, um, My Kitchen Rules, Father, that's not a cooking show, that's a soap opera. Just, I don't want to watch it, I mean, I've just watched the, um, the ads. I think, ladies, stop using Botox, <laughs> and your words are terrible. I think it might be scripted. I think they're all are really friends behind the scene. They all love each other. They just, they've got this script, let's be nasty to each other today. Anyway, that's a different subject. Where to get onto that? God's Word. Speaking life. Speaking life. How are you going with that? I've discovered the more I read of it, the more I speak it, the more I live it. The less I read of it, the less I understand it, the less I speak it, and I forget about it. But the more, life goes so much better with it. So today, I encourage you, and I I suppose challenge you, and let God challenge your heart. So we would be people... Of His words, not just that word, but His words to us. So let's pray today, before we um before we sing, as our last song today. Father, we thank you for Your presence here today, because it's Your presence that brings life. It's your um your manifest presence that brings us hope, and Father, and then You've given us the joy of giving us Your Your spoken word that you've now it's been written down it's been preserved for all of history for us today and we thank you for that and father we give you all the honor and praise and we ask that we'd be people that would hear your words let the revelation of your word become life to us so we'd speak to one another life and hope In our communities who need Jesus, speak life and love and truth and grace. Father, we commit ourselves to you today. And we thank you and we give you all the honor and all the praise. Help us, Lord, to wake up tomorrow and just whatever it may be, just to open your word. It might be just for five minutes, but Lord, let your word become life to us. Help us, Lord, just to take more time with this than we do with any else that wants to crowd in. Father, we pray for your help to just fight for that time that's important, Lord, and not let the world crowd us in and conform it to its um, uh, kind of ways, but to your way first. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said? Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's just sing this last song and let it be cemented in our hearts.